What's going on? What's going on? Y'all know what time it is. It's not Monday. It's Wednesday. I know it's usually Monday when we do it, but it's Wednesday. It's another episode of Reentry Journey. I am your host, Cordell Sims. I appreciate everyone that's going to be tuning in tonight. I'd like to bring our guest to the floor for tonight. Our guest on the floor and on the podcast tonight has been through, you know, what we always been through, what I've been through, what a lot of us in the group has been through. You know, it ain't been easy. But at the end, we find a way to, to persevere, strive, and we make it through and, and, we, and we become better than what we were. So tonight, I'd like to welcome our guest for tonight, Miss Adina Harmon. Please introduce yourself. Well, thank you. Thank you, Cardell, for having me this evening. Um, uh, yeah, it's not Monday. It's Wednesday. Thank goodness we're just a few days away from the weekend. So um, I'm out of uh, Fort Worth, Texas. I was born and raised in Dallas. And... Um, I own my own companies now. I have three and I sit on several boards and I also can say it hasn't been an easy journey, but it has been fun and it has been a very learning opportunity for me. And I've met some really amazing people along the way. And I think once I got out of my own way, um, trying to have everything my way and in my own time, I, I'm, I'm here today. And I'm, I'm doing all kinds of crazy things, but having fun. And it's all legal. So what can I say? <laughs> I'm not going back. <laughs> so I like, a, like I was telling Cordell, I, 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 this was my first rodeo when I went down. Uh, my second time, I got it right that time. I was in federal prison. I didn't do state time. I did federal. And uh, so I have no excuse other than, you know, I, I, I wasn't on drugs. I wasn't, um, I wasn't, in, I didn't rob a bank. I didn't do anything with guns. It was just me and my head getting my way. And I convinced myself, well, just this one time, if I do this, then, you know, nobody will notice. And then the next thing I'm doing more, I saw someone do something and I said, okay, I'll cover for them. And, you know, and then when the feds asked me about it, I was like, um, I don't think so, you know, I don't know anything about it, you know, and so one thing just started compiling and it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger mess I was creating. And so when I first learned I was going to be indicted, um, I had to find an attorney. I didn't turn to my family because I was embarrassed and ashamed. And, and I thought, oh my gosh, what are my parents going to think of this? You know, because they didn't raise me to be that way. Um, I was married at the age of uh, 22 and had my daughter at the age of 23. And I went to I went to college and uh, I went to a, a well-known school in Dallas, uh, SMU, Southern Methodist University. And um, my background was in classical ballet and uh, uh, psychology. I went to work um, working with adolescents who were in the middle of leaving a hospital setting and going into um, their not well enough to go home, but not well enough or too well to be in the hospital. So kind of in between. So I worked at a residential treatment center with adolescents. Then I worked with unwed teenage mothers. And um, I'm one of those people who have a real hard time working for other people because I don't like somebody telling me what to do. So, of course, you know, I raised my hand, go to prison, and everybody tells me what to do. Right. Oh, man, what was I thinking? <laughs> but anyway. You, you like nobody tell you what to do, and then you got to prison, and like you said, everybody's telling you what to do. Exactly. Eat, sleep, walk down the halls with your hands to your side, you know, don't talk, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, it, it was a it was a very interesting experience. Um, I, when I did go back the second time, I... When I knew what it was, what it was all about, I actually planned from the day that I found out that I was being indicted to the day I got out. And so I knew that I was going to need money. I knew I was going to need, I wanted magazines sent to prison. I knew I wanted to have money on my books. So I planned it all out exactly what was going to happen when I was going to turn myself in. I would go to the marshal's office, turn myself in, with my attorney, go to court, do all that stuff. And I entered the prison very well prepared. I had plenty of money on my books. Um, I actually mailed myself my money orders ahead of time. So they'd hit the jail and they'd be there when I got there. I walked in with some cash, not a whole lot because I knew that they would question it, you know. So 
I wanted to keep a little bit, but I had, I sent my money orders into myself. And then that money would follow me to the prison. And I also knew that I needed to start making a plan that from the day I went in, that that was my moment to start working my program that I created for myself because they didn't really have anything for me. They said, well, you are educated, so there's no courses for you. You don't, you don't have a drug problem, so you can't join any of those groups. You know, you can't do this, you can do that. But I did have a very good job in prison. I worked in the education department, and I was also assigned to do um, what they call suicide watch. And so I did the documentation because I knew how to do that um, from working in the in Dallas. And so, so um, you, worked the, uh, you worked the suicide watch inside the prison? Yes. Down there, uh, like down in, was it, was it in the segregation or was it in the medical unit? It was in the medical unit. Um, suicide watch, usually we never, when I was there, we never had more than three inmates um, uh, in on suicide watch. And, you know, Part of it is they're butt naked on concrete, you know, and so you have to be observant. You know, we worked four hour shifts and we, you know, go in and then somebody else would come in. I was one of the first ones that they had chosen to do this kind of work. Um, they were testing with the inmates to see. And so it was, uh, you know, paid a dollar an hour. So that was better than my 37 cents an hour. <laughs> so, a dollar, a dollar an hour in prison that's that's almost top of the line right there exactly except for unicorn they they can they yeah. did a lot better so but i never worked in unicorn um because i was assigned immediately to education after my testing and everything they said you're gonna work in education i said that's fine and while i was there i encouraged um my my boss which was um miss markham i call it miss markham but anyone named nina markham i encouraged her to to think about some better education tools for the for my friends because um, the women were my friends and you know um, I wanted them to be prepared like better than they were when they came in and so I said we need to have computers and so I started a computer program at Carswell and um, they brought in a teacher from the outside to come in and help because I wasn't supposed to do it all myself I actually read the Microsoft manual so that I would understand when I got out that exactly what I need to be able to do and how to operate. And so when I got out, I was more prepared than I was before I went in to be in the tech world. Um, so with that, you know, it's it was it was very interesting to hear everybody go, well, do you go online? No, we don't go online. But I taught Word Perfect. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Word, not Word Perfect. That's so ancient. But Word and Excel spreadsheets, how to do PowerPoint, how to use Publisher. So those were fun. And then I ended up very sick and ended up in a wheelchair. Couldn't understand what was going on with my body. And I turned out I had tuberculosis. And, you know, that <laughs> they totally misdiagnosed that one until I ended up in the hospital and I lost my right lung um, because they left me. They just didn't treat me. And I was very sick and in between my fingers, I couldn't feel anything. My feet, I couldn't feel anything. So I had neuropathy, but it's because my immune system could no longer work um, to fight off the TB, the TB1. So ended up with TB, got out, got out of prison and ended up on direct therapy, uh, medication therapy, where the therapist comes to the house, the, the nurse comes to the house, administers my medication to me at my home. I mean, I was at the halfway house only three days because they didn't want me. Um, they probably, <laughs> they probably got you up out of there. Like, nah, yeah. We'll so, deal with all this. Yeah, it was it was too much trouble. I was in a wheelchair. I wasn't going to go get a job anytime soon, but I knew I had skills. And so when I did make it to my, I ended up going to my parents' home instead of back to where I fell out of, um, which was in Oklahoma. And so I. Uh, I stayed with my parents for about, oh, I don't know, five years. It ended up being five years by the time it was all said and done. They actually had to build an entry for me to come in and out of because I couldn't be around my mom who was who struggled with uh, rheumatoid arthritis, autoimmune disease. So anyway, we didn't want her to get sick. And so when I was out, my journey started. I just started writing and typing 
And then I, I, I started communicating with a guy from the synagogue that I belonged to. And this guy is a, was a lawyer and he, uh, funny, and, um, he uh, offered me a job doing some ghostwriting. And so I did some ghostwriting for him and talked about my, pre my old life. And he actually used part of it in his book. Um, because I was a bulimorexic um, because of the years that I danced. And so when I was like 27, I weighed 97 pounds, which was just absurd oh, just wow. because I was sick, you know, it was like purging. And so I uh, had this body image thing going on. So anyway, I was working for this, this guy. I mean, he was paying me 12 grand a month and believe it or not, that really made my PO mad. She was very upset that I was making that kind of money writing <laughs> so, and so, you want, so but what do you think was the reason why the, i mean would you think maybe because you was making she didn't really see that or expect that from you and it was more than what she was making i think she told me that i needed to be out working a real job she felt like writing sitting at you know being at home and and writing wasn't a real job so she brought me a list of jobs and so when I called them and like one of them was working for like triple A answering the phones. And I mean, it was going to make like nine or 10 bucks an hour. And I was making 12,000 a month writing. I'm going no. So I had to go over her head. So I was making enemies along the way, of course. <laughs> you know? right. So anyway, but all said and done, I discovered who I was. And part of that was I've always had a passion to help other people. And I just, um, what well, my volunteer, when I would volunteer, when I was, before I ever got in trouble, um, I was a law box volunteer at the library, which were elderly adults who hadn't learned to read, maybe past the third or fifth grade. And so they wanted to learn to read. So that I took that job, um, volunteering and spending my Saturdays working with people. And I had this one lady, she was probably in her late sixties which I thought was really old until just recently when I turned 60. But anyway, she, the only thing she wanted to do was to be able to read the Bible to her grandchildren. And believe it or not, she found me not too long ago on Facebook and sent me a picture of her great grandchildren and how she's reading to them. And she actually learned to read scriptures and understand them because she was always heard about scripture, learned from, you know, when she would go to church with her family. But she didn't read the Bible. She wanted her kids on her lap. And so it was really, it was a lot of, it was fulfilling. And I knew that there was always something there for, for that. So when I got out and was writing, and then I started going, wait a minute, I'm, I had this idea. And so next thing I know, I don't write code. I'm not a coder or a developer, but I have tons of ideas. So I just started keeping the journal of my ideas. And now I have um, a patent on the wall and a u.s patent and i've got more than that actually but that was my first one and um everybody told me i'd never get a patent for my idea and then they said oh well you won't get a second one oh you won't get a third one i have 15 international patents and five or six now regular patents state patents and i've got two more in the hopper so so, so anyway I, I was always wondering if you could patent ideas so how did you go about patenting your ideas? I mean, well, I had to prototype them. Okay. Um, so I had to, you know, and that was the other part of it. I didn't have the money to develop this technology that I thought would be useful. So I had to go out and find it. I had to write a business plan. I had to, you know, do my own research and I'm really good at research. Um, so I was able to go through and, and find out, you know, what this guy did with his technology, what this guy did how mine's different and mine's better than what they what they're doing, you know, because you have to show your claims and everything. I could have paid an attorney, which I end up doing later, but um, attorneys cost money, as we all know. Patent attorneys filing those fees with the government cost money, and so I went out and I heard so many no's, and I think that I figured it out. It was like seventy three no's to every yes, and so when I figured that out to a dollar amount. Um, the last guy is a doctor, and when I pitched him my idea and told him, I said, look, we're going to take and 
take an image and add audio and it's not going to be a video um, because everything that you do if you add audio to a, an image you have to save it as a video file until now um, so we save it as a chip which is known as a senior intelligent file and so people can put anything they want into a data container and i say like it's like a real thing but it's not it's just a you merge this put this and blend this and blend this and they're each encrypted so if I only want you to read this part and then I need this person, this group over here to have this information, even though it's all in one, it can be allocated to who it needs to go to, who has, um, you know, that to go. So when I figured it out and got the patent, he was, he believed in me and this was a complete stranger. And I pitched him and he said, you know, I'm going to pay for your patent. And so he put a hundred thousand dollars into me. He's now put over half a million into me and he gave me my, he gave me my vaccine because he said he didn't want me to die anytime soon. So <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll take the vaccine. <laughs> and my husband and I both had the vaccine. So, right. so yeah. I got a friend, he just got out of federal prison. He got some prototype on a, a exercise uh, equipment machine right now. He just don't know how to go about patenting. He just got out of prison. He's in a half. He's still in the halfway house right now. He doesn't have the funds to really pay for no patents. And so, what steps would you recommend for him to take to move forward with his idea? Um, I, there's two things. I think first off, he needs to look online to see if that is any every word that you can think of to describe whatever that you have created. Type it in the quick search on the patent website in the U.S patent website and see if anybody else is doing something similar read what their patent what they do you don't have to read the whole entire thing because like ours is i think we've got one that's uh 313 pages you know it's pretty long because we have to supply drawings all of that so i would say do some research first um but in the meantime also be looking at the business side of it because you're going to need a business plan how are you going to make, roll this out? How are you going to bring your, your idea to full fruitation? And so, like with me, I had to, I didn't know what, how to write a business plan. That wasn't my, my background. So what I did was I reached out to people around me and said, look, I, you know, we can form this company. And we did. And my dad put up a little bit of the money, helped us along the way, you know, in the very beginning. And so... Um, he believed in it, and um, when the lawyer told me what he thought the value of it was, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait for somebody to make an offer. <laughs> I will have a big house and not be in the big house, you know. <laughs> so, but, yeah, I, and, you know, feel free to, to have him reach out to me. Um, and so, like, you had um, Michael, I can't think of his last name, with uh, Track Tech on. Yeah, uh, Michael Hirschman. Yeah, so I met with him after that and I reached out to him because I had some ideas because that was one of the things that we talked about when I was in prison. Why do we have to wear an ankle monitor? Why do we have to do, you know, what is what else can we do? And so we actually started brainstorming ideas and one of them was, you know, some technology and it didn't exist back then. And so anyway. he has a really good, I, I think that's really good track tech is mm -hmm. the app i think one of the things is trying to get the app or uh, the probation and parole or mm -hmm. to really get the you know i mean they can put it on their phones but a lot of people get out and they can't get phones no um, i uh i have one thing i really been working on and i really want to do is, is something similar but it's not a uh, like a tracking app it's basically a re-entries like well, i got the re-entry support group mm -hmm. it's re-entry support app to where I want to uh, basically, if you get out of prison, you'd be able to go to this app, find the resources in your area, find mentors in your area, mm -hmm. and you know, have it be daily motivational videos, uh, maybe Q and A. If you got any questions, you can you can type them in, and, you know, get back with you and everything. Like, I, it's it, it's, just, it's just an idea that I got. I don't I don't really know what steps to take to. I don't know nothing about no app making or or anything of that nature so yeah. you're talking to the right person yeah. <laughs> so, so in the beginning you said that you know you you, you tried this thing one time it, it was wrong mm -hmm. you said okay i'll just do it one time and then that's it 
but you end up doing it more and more. What what do you think drove you to do it more and more and, and, and didn't stop after that one time? I think it was, um, I like the fact that I got away with something. And I know that sounds really lame and really, it's very selfish um, because it fed something that I was missing. And to figure out what that is, it took me some time to figure out what was missing. And it was, I really didn't like me. And so something that gave me this, oh, oh this is, you know, oh, wow, you know, kind of feeling. Because um, I'd gone from bulimia. I mean, I I was on stage with the ballet. I, you know, went to college and did all this other stuff and worked these other, worked with kids, worked with adults. And it, it wasn't, it just didn't, nothing connected. Um, and yet I also knew that I love to be around people and work with people. But when I, when I did that thing, I mean, I'm watching this show on serial killers and I'm going, I can almost understand that. Oh, that was, you know, not that I would kill someone, but I'm just saying that that little bit of feeling that you get from it's almost like a high. Um, you're, you're, of course, you're, you're endor, you're, everything's going, you're, you're creating some endorphins are really firing off right then. But um, I think it was, I didn't like myself. And I, and so I got, I got something that felt good. I mean, some people use booze, some people use drugs, some people use sex. I used crying, you know, cause I thought, Oh, okay. You know, that felt good, you know, but then I felt ashamed. And so then I had to, you know, I wanted to, Oh, okay. I, I don't want to feel like that. So then I do something again. And so it, and I knew it was wrong. You know, the whole time I knew it was wrong and that's what made it even. It's just that feeling that knowing is wrong and I, I, can get, I got away with it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Right. So it's like a, I don't know if you ever read this book, um, or people may have, um, it's called Good Girls Gone Bad. I don't even know if they publish it anymore. Um, I, I okay, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I don't think you would want to read it, but I, uh, someone in the group might, yeah. might have read it, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it was written um, back in the 80s, and it took me some time to find it, because I heard a therapist in prison talking about me. And to another person, and um, she goes, she's a good girl gone bad, and um, you know, because I, I have no excuse for what I did, other than I really think I just didn't like myself, and it took me some time to work through that. And that book, pretty much, there's a couple of the people in the book that I go, oh, I can relate to that, you know, because there's really no excuse. I wasn't abused as a child. I had education. I had food. I traveled. I did so much, but something was missing, you know, and, and part of that, I was married to an attorney in, in when I first, I mean, I put him through law school. I worked two jobs. He went to law school. I was supposed to go to med school, if, you know, after he got his practice started, but that didn't work out. He married, he started dating some young chick, you know, somebody a lot younger than me. But I think I was just like 28. He was going younger than that. So, but uh, I, I didn't end up liking myself. And so I really felt a lot of disgust with myself. And then, you know, when the crime, when I did that, I was like, oh, okay. So. And so you, you going into prison, like in the environment I grew up in, you know, it, we had, we have this belief and it still exists in the environments that, you know, going to prison solidifies you being a man, mm -hmm. you know, it solidifies your street rap. And so it, it was kind of like, we was expected to go to prison sometime in our lives. Like, you know, you're going to go to, I mean, this is the mentality and the belief that we had. And you saying that, you know, you come, you come from an opposite background. So when you go when you went into prison first day, what, what was your thoughts? What was going through your head? It was, Oh shit. <laughs> I'll be real honest. It was, Oh shit. What did I do? You know? And then I thought, okay, so I'm going to treat this like, um, I'm doing research so that I could, you know, I kind of separated my thinking um, so that I treated it like this is research time to understand who I am, who I am in this world. And, you know, I knew that I wasn't any different than anyone else there. You know, I, you know, and um, when I would hear some of the women's stories, I just felt, oh my gosh, I just wanted to wrap my arms around them and just hug them and tell them it's going to be okay you know, that there is a brighter side because I'd seen it, but I'd never 
felt it, you know. Um, so I, I think that, um, you know, when I got there, I was, I was, I wasn't frightened. I wasn't afraid of anyone. I just remember this one woman wasn't in the county jail as I was waiting transfer. It was once I hit the prison yard, she walked over to me and, you know, we had those um, tacky little brown sandal things that we had to wear flip-flops. And she goes, I want to see your toenails, you know, and I had on white socks. I go, what? She goes, I just want to see what kind of person you are. I thought, who is this person? <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'll show her my toenails. I don't know what this means, but so she wanted to see my toenails. And she said that she goes, okay, so you're okay. You take care of yourself. Um, so it was like, I, I was having to go through these little tests, you know, so, I mean, I've never heard of that one before. Neither. Let me take the toenails out. She wanted to see if they were painted, if I, you know, how long I've been in County. Cause you could tell, you know, um, was she, you know, what kind of deals was she making, you know, at the county jail to get makeup in or, you know, back then it was cigarettes. I didn't smoke. So, you know, I was always looking for, I need perfume and I need <laughs> lotions and I need those kind of things. And I try to find an officer to bring that into me, you know, but, uh, but no, I, 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 I wasn't frightened. I just knew that I was going to treat this as an opportunity to learn. Um, even the first time, but then when I got out, I got around some people and because then I was now nobody wanted to be my friend, nobody, you know, from my old life. And I'm like, okay, so they're all talking about me. So big deal. You know, I can make this. And I actually cashed a check for someone and turned out he had stolen the check. And so then my name comes back up. And so then at this point I'm going, wow, so what the heck? And so then you know, when I saw my boss doing something wrong and I didn't turn her in, um, and then the feds came to me and asked me about it, and I lied. And so now I've got, oops, I've got a little obstruction going on there. <laughs> lying to the feds. But I knew they were lying to me. And in my mind, is if they're lying to me, it's okay for me to lie. And so I had to work through that. So I, I used the prison time as a time to learn about who I was. Um, and I still, and I'm still learning today. Um, so. It's, it's always a process. So you said when you got there, it was it was kind of like they was uh, it was like you had to go through a whole bunch of tests. Yeah. Um, in in the in the men's federal prisons, we have we have cars. In the women's federal prison, do they have cars as well? Like, what is um, Cars. We call them cars. Like uh, so in in the men's federal prison, this is how most of the uh, men's federal prison run. You got the cars. So you got the whites, the blacks, Mexicans, uh, Asians, natives. You got these five groups. You got these five cars. Within the cars, you have your own. In the, you got your own cliques. So, like let's mm -hmm. say in the blacks, you have, uh, you might have the Muslim car. Mm -hmm. and you might have, uh, like I was in Leavenworth, so you had a Kansas City car. Then you had a, a East Coast car. Then you might have a, a down south car. And so you had these different cliques. Is it like that? In was it like that? In the women's federal prison? Well, I think it was. Um, I didn't associate really with any group. I was I was part of the Jewish community. Um, so you know, there was only like six of us, and right. so we were a very small group. And um I also was um worked in education. So um I I grew up just a little bit about my background or my early childhood. I'm a daughter of the civil rights. My parents marched with Martin Luther King, they were we had a burning cross in our front yard at one point when I was growing up. Our house got messed up many times because my my mother was raised by a woman of color, Mama Nell, and she, um, my mother's mother, my real grandmother, my biological grandmother was a, a model uh, for Vogue, a still model. And so they would just draw her, you know, basically in these clothes. And um, she left my mom. So she was raised by a woman of color, Mama Nell. And so Mama Nell lived with us until we were, um, I think she passed away right before my daughter was born. So she was with us for a really long time. And um, so I grew up very different than just the kids in my neighborhood. My parents intentionally moved to an area in Texas that was so racist that they had to, they got it. My parents were in your face people. And um, Mama Nell got arrested for driving after 6 p.m. in the small town. 
We was an off-white town. They, my parents intentionally moved there to show we're not going to be like this. We're going to, we're going to integrate and, you know, this segregation stuff has got to stop. Um, and so that's, I, I grew up going over to churches of color and um, our church, you know, I, I didn't grow up in the Jewish faith. My mother was born Jewish, but she didn't practice Judaism because she was um, in that where I grew up. There weren't any synagogues, so you know she joined the Methodist Church, and she was part of a group of people who stood up for civil rights. And so we went to lock-ins, we we did all that kind of stuff. So I I always felt comfortable being with people of any background. It didn't matter to me, and I was never scared of anybody. And so I mean I don't I think that I could walk in and, and you know I'm sure that I could walk in somewhere and somebody you know maybe try to make me feel threatened or something, you know, trying to, you know, do that to me, but I don't feel that way. I always feel safe with people. And, um, and so I try to live my life in love. And so I'm actually part of a, I'm taking a human rights course right now, um, through the U S I forgot Institute of human rights, uh, consulting. And so, cause I, I think that um, to honor my parents um, for all the work that they did, um, my parents actually to this that now um, there's actually people of color living in that in that town that we grew up in. But when we got there, the people of color lived near the railroad tracks near the lumber yard, and the kids were not allowed to public school. So and they couldn't own homes in that town. So my dad and the pastor of the church and a couple other men of the church. Um, would get together late at night and go meet these realtors and they would buy houses and then they would sell the houses to the people of color because the other real estate people wouldn't do it. Wow. So, so we actually, by the time I, I graduated from high school, I think we had two people of color um, graduating with us out of, uh, I think it was like 1100. And so it's still a long ways to go, but today it's not that way. I mean, they intentionally would back then in the sixties were, um, to vote not to have public transportation. And so because they knew that people would have would need transportation to and from this part of outside of Dallas to get to Dallas. Yeah. And so anyway, but it was, you know, I, I always felt okay around people. So I didn't really feel the click, but I knew that I was part of a Jewish community and people would say, Y'all get to have macaroons. Do can you get me some? You know, and I I I when I was in the county jail waiting to go to prison, you know, waiting for my my trial, my hearing. I was, I played guilty. I'm not going to lie. I knew I was wrong. And so um, one of the things I did was I told everybody that, you know, what we have to do, because we know there's people coming in here with drug problems. We know people are coming in here that are just really depressed. And we know people are going to come in here that, that would rather steal, but they don't really want to steal, but they want something. And I said, so all of us with money, I put us all together and I said, look, I said, you know, we're going to buy extra toilet tissue because I mean, that's like gold. And um, we're going to buy some chocolate for the people coming off the off the drugs. You know, um, we're going to buy some toothbrushes better than what they offer. You know, when you come in, give them some to make them make somebody feel like they, they matter, you know, because coming in there is a hard place anyway. And if you're already down and out there's got to be a better way. So we had baskets that we would put together until we got caught giving baskets to people. Um, so that no matter who came in that, in that prison, they had, a, they were given something by somebody. And so, you know, that's, that's just, you know, I just love people. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so you, you go back to prison. What was mm -hmm. that feeling like? Um, the ultimate shame. And well deserved, uh, but um, I just I hung my head down. But I also knew that I knew what I was up against, so I planned out. I knew that I had to plan my day of release the day I walked in. Mm, so I'm gonna need you to repeat that. Could you repeat that? Yeah, <laughs> I knew I planned my day of re okay. I planned my life and I planned for the day that I was to be released. Everything I did was planned to be for my release. That I wasn't going to get in trouble. I was going to take, I was going to take every opportunity I could to learn something. 
I was going to take every opportunity to give back to people. And I was going to take every, you know, if they said you need counseling, Adina, okay, I'll sign up for it. You know, they would say, Adina, you need this. I'd sign up for it, you know. Um, but um, I planned my, my, I planned my release the day I walked in. So that's, you know, so I knew that I was going to prepare. But once again, I knew what I was up against. And I also knew that, that I even fell lower than I did before because everybody from the town that I fell out of, they had nothing to do with me. They disliked me. They thought I was scum of the earth. And I made some friends. And today, it's really interesting. I'm actually friends with some of the staff members. Um, I am friends with a lot of the, the former inmates that I was did time with. I um, actually have some come visit. We text each other during the holidays. And, you know, how are you doing? Just checking in on you. We help each other. Um, got one that actually invested or two that have invested in my company and um so we're we're we're, we're there for each other and um i wouldn't have had those ex those friendships like that that i consider real versus the ones that i had before that were always expecting me to be mm, hi how are you doing yeah yeah you know these i could get down and be real with and um and talk about it you know so so you, you get out at the second time you go on a mission. Mm -hmm. What were some of the, the biggest challenges that you faced once you got uh, out the second time? The pro, my probation officer didn't like me <laughs> at all. I mean, she, she, she told me that I was a waste of her time. Um, that wow. you know, well, because I was living at my parents' home at that time, but I had I had been sick, you know, and um, she said that where she needs to be focused in is on another section across town where people are really violating and but she has to come out here and waste her time on me and my parents home was nice um again i mean um you know it there was like a different she treated me like um because i had stuff i had family that had money a little you know but of course my parents did not support me through prison they were not going to support me through prison you did this to yourself. My father, oh my gosh, I thought he was going to get kicked out because he came in there ranting and raving, cussing me out left and right, you know, and um, he I... To, he came to the prison? Oh, yeah, he was ready to bust my face in. So, but he goes, we didn't raise you like this, and, you know, and, and uh, of course, then I tried even crazier stuff because, um, you know, I just it just it was crazy i mean the whole experience with my dad first and my mom came to visit and my dad lost his mind on me and i had to come over and ask him is everything okay sir you know and he was like right. no it's not look <laughs> she's here anyway oh yeah his little girl you know the only girl so yeah. that, and, uh, and, and, and you know and like even when now when I look back on it, like when I talk to my mom, you know, because now really honestly, I'm going through similar situation that I took my mom through with, with my oldest son. Mm -hmm. Like he's he's incarcerated right now, mm -hmm. and I got another son that he does some things, and I mean that could, could this can lead you to prison. This can lead you locked up, and some of the things you look back and you know now with technology and stuff like that, so stuff travels real fast and it gets mm -hmm. back to you real fast what your kids is doing and things like that and they're they're grown you know but at the same time you'd be like man this is this is embarrassing and i look back on that and i would I, I used to think like man some of the stuff i was doing i'm, I'm like that was i'm pretty sure my mother then was embarrassed like seeing me on the news and mm -hmm. the newspaper and you know a lot of stuff that i had gotten into and because in the sense it's a reflection in them so he your father, your parents, probably most likely was hurt, mm -hmm. but embarrassed at the same time. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they were embarrassed. Um, they didn't have anybody to talk to about it. None of their friends' kids went to prison. You know, um, nobody else in my family had been to prison, except I do have a cousin that likes to get drunk and get DUIs, um, and he was the one that went to prison. No one else had been in trouble, and I was the oldest of the grandchildren, and everybody, you know, kind of looked up you know, to me and my brothers, because my dad was the oldest of the, in his family. My mother was an only child. So 
you know, there wasn't that side of it, but, uh, you know, it was, it, my grandmother came to visit me, you know, when, when I was incarcerated and, you know, I could just see it just pained them. And I remember my mother's very endowed. And so she wore a bra that had the underwires in it. And so when they were, you know, doing this, it kept going off and her hair, she had all these hairpins because she had her hair up all pretty and everything. And, and she was humiliated. And I thought I did that to my mom. And, you know, it took me some time to, to look at my parents. And now they, they're really proud of me um, because I have come a long ways. I am doing what my passion is. And um, my passion, you know, is that we develop visually accessible tools for people with disabilities. And so we, you know, um, and then I'm building a Bible app um, with a group of pastors here in my town. And I sit on several boards, some in California, um, for people that are amputees and uh, people with, dis, you know, dis, uh, with disabilities. And so they're adaptive sports organizations. So anyway, um, but that's what I do now. And so I think my parents are, my dad's really proud of me because I'm CEO of not one company, but a couple. I'm a managing partner of another. And uh, so he's he's proud of me. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy I, I did that right now. <laughs> they get to see this part. Um, so the redemption is mm -hmm. that it you you said you know one of your biggest obstacles was you know saying your 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 PO and we know a lot of people get out of prison that's you know that's be their biggest obstacle as mm -hmm. well especially those who want to pursue into entrepreneurship you know or you know luckily I, my PO when I got out the last time um they really were into what I was doing, speaking, sharing my story, writing books and mm -hmm. things of that nature. And they really pushed me towards that, even to the point where they was, they would have me go and speak to the pretrial people that maybe just got locked up was on pretrial, mm -hmm. you know, but a lot of people that don't happen to with, um, and their PO becomes like their biggest, per the biggest person holding them back. How did you overcome what did you have to do to get past the PO being that big person that's holding you back that was against you? Well, um, she had recommended that I go back to school. Um, and I'm going, okay. Um, and so I applied for um, uh, a community college just to go get a certificate in medical. Because um, I, I, I know medicine. Um, I've worked in the, you know, on the side, like, you know, psychiatry. Um, but, um, so I went up to the community college and I, you know, I thought, well, if I'm taking courses, going to school, she's off my back. I don't have to be working. Um, and she, and I am making money, so she can't really balk about that, but I did pay my taxes because I was self-employed. And, um, so when I got through, I went down <laughs> and it's crazy because she just, she was just, she was horrified that this happened. But, uh, I went down to our hospital, our uh, county hospital and I applied for a job and I took your test and I scored higher than anyone has ever scored and I had the fastest typing I was 121 words a minute and I did all this other stuff and they did can you do this can you do that well they had me to become the executive secretary to the chief of staff of the hospital of the county hospital of Dallas and they said we want you to come in here they took me places in the hospital that I and I kept thinking well don't they know I'm on probation? I mean, my PO is going to show up here. And they go, well, here's his credit cards, and you'll be taking care of that. And so I I, I looked at the guy at, towards the end, and I said, now, you do realize that I'm on probation, right? And you could have heard a pin drop. And after that, they said, I'm sorry, but you can't work here. And I said, but you say that you hire people with, you know, ex-felons. He goes, well, not for a job like this. And I said, but you're the one that puts me here. I was willing to fold laundry and, you know, do something like that. Cause I knew that I wasn't to be in that position. You know, I, I qualified, I was overqualified, but you know, um, they didn't want me anymore. And so they actually blackballed me. So when my name came up for any time I applied for anything, it was automatically, it would never go through. And so when my PO found out, she made a couple of calls and they said, she's, she's too smart to work over here. She's, she can't work over here because you know we can't have her let her have access to 
that kind of information and that much money and this and this and this. So um, she kind of go, she kind of had a wake up call at that moment um, that she saw my struggle. Um, and so she got quiet and let me do it. And then I've started, when I started dating the man I'm married to now, Butch, um, we were actually high school sweethearts and we went our separate ways. Um, but uh, I said, well, I want to go to Fort Worth and, you know, can I do that? And she was like, well, you got to be back by this time, you know, let me have the address. And so um, then, you know, staying over and doing all this other stuff and, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. And so, you know, I just, and I, I waited a while before I even told him that I'd be in trouble because I didn't, I didn't know I was going to take it because I wasn't the girl to do that, you know, but anyway, I finally told him and he goes, and it was okay. And so we're married to this day. And the only reason we got married, I'll be real honest, neither one of us wanted to get married again. Um, but we just wanted to be together. Um, because first off, we're both, we were, I was just had turned 50 and, um, he had just turned 51. And so, um, we were like, nah, we don't get married. He was getting divorced and now I'm, I'm wife number five. So, you know, um, let's go. <laughs> okay. But I put on the patent, um, I used his last name and I said, so if I get this patent, then um, we will get married because I put Harmon on there. And so when the patent came through, I said, we got to legitimize our kid in there. So we name our patent. So I named them uh, Patrick and Patty and Patricia and, you know, all these names. And so and we got married. And so it was so we did that. It, it's been a good thing. You know, we're we're here for each other forever. And so. So if you if somebody getting out of prison today, mm -hmm. what what advice would you give them? Change your playground. I know that's hard, and sometimes it's even your own family members. But you got to be kind of selfish and ask yourself: Do I want to live that life that I was living to end up where I ended up? And the second thing would be get all the training the state and the feds will allow you to have because your your mind your education is something no one can take away except for maybe alzheimer's or dementia but no one can take that away from you um and believe in yourself because you survive something that most people have a real hard time doing and getting out to this side of it and looking back and asking yourself is that what i want or do I do I want to take all the dreams that I dreamed and make it be? And I always tell people, I never wanted, when I was a little girl, I didn't say, oh, I can't wait to grow up and go to prison. You know, I, I, I said to myself, I want to grow up and be somebody. I want, to, I want to do all these things that my parents were doing, being good people, you know, being a good person and doing right. And, you know, and so... I have to step back and ask myself that, you know, even when I get that little, oh, that, you know, uh, you know uh, no, you don't want to do that. So, you know, because it, it, it will put, make, it will rear its head because it's, you know, fascinating because there's like more stuff I could get in trouble with as far as technology um, because, you know, I could probably hack something if I wanted to, um, but I'm not going to. Um, because I don't want to, <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, go down that road. No, so I would, and I would, I really would take advantage of everything the feds and the state have to offer you. Um, and don't feel guilty about it because there's plenty of people out there that are going to stand in your way. And the better you're equipped to face them, then the better you are going to be on the other side of walking past them. And, you know, I always look for ways to collaborate with people um, like what you're doing. And, and I think what you're doing is amazing. And I think you're probably changing some lives. And, you know, when people hear other people's story, they go, oh, yeah, you know, she can do it. I can do it. And I think sharing the story. And that's what I said, you know, before we started, you know, I've got people that don't even know that I went to prison. And so I'm like, OK, so maybe they'll find out at some point, you know, and it'll have to be OK because, you know, it's not who I am today, but all that made me a better person. And, and today I'm creating technology that's going to impact children who don't, who, 
or dyslexic or just someone who is blind or someone who can't hear or someone who is a quadriplegic or, you know, that's what I'm doing today. And it, it's, it's going to change. The, it's going to change people's lives and make it better. And I, I kind of want to go out with that on my, you know, on my, on my chest, you know, you know, I did something that made a positive difference for someone else. So. Two more questions. Okay. One is, one word that describes, that would describe your journey. One word that would define your journey. Perseverance. Okay. And then also, how important it is, I always tell people, when you get out to find, to get involved in something where you service, where you mm -hmm. service. How important, how, how important is it to, to serve? It's 100% important to serve um, because once you get outside your own self and you're giving back to or giving to other people, you are actually built. You're actually every probably every cell in your body is being fed love. And um, and a lot of times that's what we're missing and we don't even know it. Um, we 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 lack that respect, you know, that because we thought, oh, I, you know, if I just don't get caught, you know, we're that's we didn't have respect for ourselves when we did or I didn't have respect for myself when I would do what I did and um so I I, I would think that you know it's a hundred percent it makes a difference when you serve other people and you know that's and I can't even you know it's just it's just important I've always believed in that I was raised to serve other people and I, I tell my husband I never even went trick-or-treating as a child we trigger treated for UNICEF because we knew there were children in the world that weren't going to have apples and all this fruit from the harvest. And, you know, so if we had, if we went out and raised money in our cute little costumes and, you know, brought it back to the church and knew that it was going to help other people, that's something you can do, you know, even with, and you don't have to do it alone. You can find something that your spouse likes, your girlfriend likes, your boyfriend likes, your children like. And teach them to be a service so they don't get caught in this trap that you know so many of us get caught in right. so the journey from inmate to entrepreneur <laughs> prison to patents yeah there you go <laughs> prison to patents. uh i really enjoyed your story i really enjoyed your journey uh learn so much learn so much but i also see some similarities between uh our, our own personal journeys uh, thank you for being a guest on the Reentry Journey podcast. Um, I'm hoping that you know maybe we can collab later on down the future. Mm -hmm. uh, any anything that you uh, need help with or maybe whatever, reach out to us. Um, I'm always be available. Uh, I'm always going to be open to to you know do something positive, uh, to do something uh, that, that can grow. And uh, like I said, I really enjoyed the story. I want to thank you again. For, uh, being a guest uh, feel free to, you're in the group so feel free to drop any information or, or any knowledge or just any uplifting words of encouragement on a daily basis in the group uh, we will like we really appreciate it uh, once again thank you for coming on I really enjoyed the, your story and your journey well, thank you Cardell thank you for everyone who's listening and I will actually put some information in there and I also would like for you to Reach out to your friend who's still in the halfway house, and uh, if he's working on his patent, I, I'll share him, share with him what I've, you know, my little journey on that, and give him some advice. All so. right, thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, bye bye. Bye bye.